Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson, I'll be your host as always. And once again, I'm joined by Scott Coyne. Scott, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, Ben. It's great to be back. Hello, Belgian football lovers. Yeah, absolutely. It was a classic weekend of Belgian football. We had the cycling classics back, we had the Classico, we had the derby between Kortrijk and Zoltavar again. Plenty of goals, plenty of talking points. Let's quickly go through the results from this weekend, starting with the Zoltavar again Kortrijk derby. Uh, That one finished three goals apiece. Crazy, crazy game. Mechelen got a big win winning away from home, an absolute rarity. They won against Salang, two goals to nil. The Open and Circle Breeze played out a controversial 2 all draw. Genk had a comfortable 3-0 victory over just the doomed, it seems like, Ustend. Vestalo got a massive win against Union. They won four goals to two at home. Club Breeze themselves got a big win. They beat Ghent 2-0 at home. A little bit of controversy in that one as well. Leuven, they drew 1-1 with Antwerp. Andalex drew 2-2 with Standard in the Classico. And then Charleroi rounded off the weekend with a 1-0 win over St. Luden. But let's start with Zoltavar again against Kortrijk in the derby. And what a derby this one was. Kortrijk took a, the lead in the 15th minute. Some really poor defending from a ball over the top for Cadley to run onto. Borja Lopez was just in a completely helpless position made a stupid lunging tackle that thankfully didn't connect with Kadri because that could have been a red card and early marching orders for him. Instead, he missed the tackle. Kadri runs through, slots it past Sammy Bosser. Two goals in two games for the Algerian. Zulta then did get back into the game about 15 minutes later. Azino Gano Flickon found Alessandro Solani running onto it. He smashed it into the back of the net and it looked like we were heading to a draw at half-time However, Zorza gave away a free kick, just not on the edge of the box, a little bit outside the edge of the box. Selimani stepped up and scored an absolute screamer. If you haven't seen it, you've got to go and find it because it is a ridiculously, ridiculously good goal. He he just hits this free kick perfectly towards the side that Bossett is on, but it's so well placed and the power and everything about it is just too perfect for the keeper to keep it out. Kortaik fans going absolutely mental, having just been... Silenced by the Solani equalise and a couple of chances Zolta Valagem had. Second half, again, Zolta Valagem actually started a much the much better side. Um, Alion and Dor got them back into the game after, again, some really poor defending from Kortzleit, just kind of letting the ball bounce in their own area. Vandenberg and the defence didn't deal with it. Indoor runs on to make it two goals all. <clears throat> after that, Zolta Valagem just, yeah, they had plenty of chances. Indoor missed a couple. Gano, Vossen, they all had a couple of chances. But then that man, Kadri, with a little bit of magic, lovely turn on the halfway line, goes past a couple of sort of again players, inch perfect pass through. Felipe Avenatti running onto it. He slots it in 3 2 to Kortrijk in the 65th minute. Zorta then just started peppering them. 17 shots they had, but only four of them on target. Vandenberg made a couple of really important saves. Gano missed a couple of really important chances. He literally missed one. Vandenberg turns it around the post from a free header. From the corner, he gets another free header, but this time he makes no mistake. Awful defending from Kortzleit. They just let him run off whoever was meant to be defending him. Really, really bad. He heads it home. Finishes 3-0. Plenty of tackles flying around. A couple of yellow cards flying around as well. Not the result Zoltavagen would have wanted. Um, 
for Courtois as well, Scott, I guess, having been in front, they'd have liked to have held on because it would give them a much bigger gap. But it means that they haven't lost any ground to sort of our game, which was probably the biggest thing they needed to do in this game. Yeah, it was a really open game, actually. It was uh, pretty entertaining stuff. And I had a feeling going into this, this that it was always going to be about the side that, that made the least mistakes. And sure enough, both sides made plenty of mistakes. Um, Bern Stock wasn't happy with the sides defending uh, on a lot of this game, and you could kind of see why. Um, a lot of the basics they didn't they didn't really get right. He looked kind of quite frustrated. He was he was very vocal on the touchline, and he, he isn't normally as vocal as that. So he was he wasn't really enjoying what, what he was seeing. Um, I thought Kurtrite were marginally the better side just on the basis that their use of the ball was a little bit better. They were a bit more incisive when they had had possession and, and just felt a little bit more aggressive and, and direct in their in their play. Um, but they were hugely disappointed to have gone in the lead three times and to, to have been pegged back. Um, that will be a source of real frustration um, to them. On Zalta's part, I mean, we, we spoke about this over the last couple of weeks and how important these last three games have been um, you know, Usten, Sarang and Kertrike back-to-back. Um, they've only picked up three out of a possible nine points across those three fixtures, which is pretty poor, considering how, how important those fixtures could could turn out to be at the end of the season. Um, seven games left now, looking at the remaining fixtures, it's difficult to see where the points are going to be racked up that they really need. They've got living at home, Gen, uh, living away, sorry, actually, getting at home, standard away, Antwerp at home, Charleroi away, potentially a massive game against Open away on the 15th of April. If they're still within touching distance, that becomes a almost a winner-takes-all game. And uh, they've got Circle at home in the, on the final weekend. Um, so that Open game could yet have absolutely massive significance on their season. Um, but having said all of that, um, it's hard not to be too negative on them because um, they, they, they lost Brules and Vormer. Um, you know, their, their midfield wasn't what it's been like over the last few weeks. And they, they spent a lot of this game, Zalta and Truth, kind of trying to get a grip of it, really, knocking the ball all around a lot without necessarily having the sort of incision, as I was saying, that kind of Kurtrike did. But probably on the balance of the sheer number of mistakes, again, to come full circle, a draw was probably about the right result. Yeah. I'd agree, right result, but just the wrong result for both. Well, for Zolt of our game, especially for Courts. Like, mm. I feel like these last three games, at least they've they've won. They haven't lost. They've won one, drawn two. I feel like they're gonna be okay. I think I've seen enough about them to think that when it matters, they're gonna. They've got players in good form in Cadley and mm. Vandenberg, basically, and they've got Selimani who can produce that little bit of magic that we saw. So, I think not losing was a big, big result for them. And I think it is now just kind of, it's all it's all in sort of Agam and East End's hands, basically. If they want to stay up, they have to go on a ridiculously good run. Mm. And I just can't see them doing that. And yeah, Urpen as well. They're still in it for sure, but they've got that advantage of kind of these scenes below them aren't really performing as well as they could be. Um, mm. One team who I think probably given themselves that they are probably safe now and they should go on to get a couple more points and be safe are Mechelen and that was thanks to their win over Salang not the best of games on not the best of pitches I can safely say I mean 
the shots on target at the end by half time, I think, were none for both sides. It was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> but Mechelen did take the lead. Um, apologies, no, they did. They took the lead in the first half with their first shot on target. So they did get one on target in the first half. So I completely forgot which way round they were kicking at that point. Uh, Jeffrey Hareman to the free kick that just went all the way in, which kind of like summarised sums this game up in that sense in terms Ooh. of the lack of quality in that. I don't know what Dish was doing in goal. Like he kind of he moves to one side, but if he'd stayed where he was, he'd have probably just easily got it. But he just gets a bit oh. flummoxed by all the bodies running around him, which you can kind of understand. But also, like the defending is poor from Solan because they don't track any of these runners. I feel like if you watch it again, it's all Mechelen players running at the ball. Oh. Um, it just goes straight past him and into the net. Continues Harriman's. He's having a really good season. Um, he's definitely been Mechelen's best player, in my opinion. They too are missing their kind of midfield in this one. No Scoofs, no Vestrata. Um It's quite a weird one with Lavalie and Rabti having to play a little bit deeper and then De Cruz playing a little bit deeper as well, which we've all said we think kind of suits him. Um, so Lang did think they'd got back into it at the end of the first half. Mustafa and Bao thought he'd got a goal, but he was offside. And I think it, I was surprised that it took that long to give offside because just from initial reaction, I was like, that just looks like he's ahead of the ball there. Um, but they got there in the end, uh, took a long time. I think that was important for Mecklen going in 1-0 up and then they just, yeah, kind of controlled the game from then on. Slang ended up, because they didn't score that one, having no shots on target, which is just, yeah, pretty dire stuff. Um, caught out on the counter-attack in Goy, kind of tried to play it across the box to absolutely no one, but the defence decided to just play it to De Cruz anyway, um, just cleared it straight to him. He took a touch. Storm was screaming for it, but De Cruz was like, this is the best chance I've got to score a goal in this game. He lashes it home, finishes 2-0 to Mechelen. Um, it kind of helps them out in that sense of just continues to increase that gap while Zulta and Kortelite didn't pick up any points. Ustenda didn't pick up any points and Salang didn't pick up any points. So they can kind of look a little bit up because they're now only three points behind Leuven, uh, which if you said to them a couple of months ago, that's where you'd end up. They'd have probably snapped your hand off for it, given the performances they were putting in. So I think this is the result that's probably, touch wood, kept them in the league. And I think they probably will go pick up a couple more points, but I think they've probably got enough already. Yeah, I think that should see them safe. And there was a kind of palpable sense of relief, I think, around the place, uh, particularly across social media after this result. Uh, if you're a Mecklen fan, a lot of them were, were, you know, kind of in agreement that it wasn't the greatest performance in the world, but, you know, it was enough to get the points and points that, that probably allow them to not completely relax, but certainly get one of their feet up. Um, I think you know another win um, will we'll absolutely see them safe, but I, I I would feel pretty comfortable about where they are now. And like you say, actually, it's funny because um, if the form picks up now in the final seven games, then they could yet push quite hard for a playoff two spot. Um, I think it might just be slightly out of reach for them in the end, but um, they're kind of you know they're closer to that now than where they were last week. It's it's funny how how things can change in a week. Um, that's actually. Mecklen's first away win in the league since early November, believe it or not, which is unbelievable. And that win was the game against Charleroi that never finished, it was abandoned, that they were awarded the 5-0 win for. So you have to go back even further than November for the last win 
um, in which they bag the points on the pitch. So that's the end of a, a rather miserable streak um, of of away fixtures for them uh, coming away with a win. So that 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 in itself is kind of quite big for them. I don't know if anybody spotted Kieran Marabti and Jeffrey Hereman's having a great time in full time with the the Mechelen fans. They were they were in with them singing in amongst the crowd. Um, at the end of the game, Kieran Marabti had a, had a pair of um, sunglasses on. Um, which was kind of quite nice. Uh, that came out on uh, the club's social media. Um, so that that told me that they felt relaxed enough to kind of dive in there um, and, and and celebrate um, in a way that's a little bit different to, you know, the the usual polite congratulations after you pick up three points. <laughs> yeah, I do love that at the end of a game, seeing the fans and players interact. So this is a good feeling going through the camp there and they must be feeling a little bit more relaxed after that result. Uh, let's go to Open Circle Bruges, which, yeah, I watched this one. Um, got off to a pretty pretty good start. Circle had a lot of chances, um, but then Open hit them, kind of sucker punched them. Conan and Dree was, yeah, he was great in this one. Lovely feet on the edge of the box, just burst of pace. He did, no one could really keep up with him, and he gets brought down for a penalty in the 10th minute. Former Circle man Steph Peters steps up, and they showed that little graphic where it was like, how many has he missed this season? And it's all green, obviously. Um, <laughs> and then there's Miyeki in goal, who's like one of the best at saving penalties this season. So I was like, this is a great little battle within the game. Peters wins the battle, but I think Miyeki does get close <laughs> to stopping mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Kind of open then, just capitulate um, a little bit. Charles Van der Hoot finds Abby Francis on the edge of the box and he gets his first goal with some style. And it's just a shame for him that there were two better goals this weekend, uh, oh. one in the Pro League, one in the Challenger, because this would have been talked about a lot more. He just drills it low, hard into the bottom corner. Just a fantastic finish. He has no right to do it. He's then involved in the 17th minute when Brandon Bay just flies into him, foot right into the shin ankle area. Stonewall red card. Absolutely no complaints about that one. Um, so up and down to 10 men at that point. All circular, circular, really pushing, which means you know what's going to happen. Open are going to hit them on the break, which is what they do. Uh, lovely play from Gassama, uh, fine Steph Peters. Peters then rides the challenge uh, of Darland. Darland will probably look back and think he should have done a lot better there. Peters then finds an entry who's storming forward. The penalty winning player then puts away the second goal for Open. Great finish from Conan and Dree. Um, him and Seth Peters have kind of carried the load in terms of goal scoring for that side this season. So despite having 10 men open are ahead, but then they should have gone down to nine men. And this is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. Um, Miyeki flies out the goal to clear the ball. Gassama's running onto it. His foot does kind of slip, but then his other foot just flies straight into the chest of Miyeki. And it's all, it is really bad. And I saw it on the replay and I was like, that's the second red. Like there's, If they hadn't got the first red, I'm sure VAR would have had to say that's a red card. And I just don't understand what nothing happened. It was the weirdest thing. Miyeki's like flat out, completely out of it, just lying there, like, because he's just been basically like had a foot to the chest and crumpled. But nothing happened. It was honestly bizarre. Like, I couldn't believe. And now, obviously, after the game, Circle have come out. Miyeki's out for six weeks and they've said, like, what? <laughs> basically complained about the VAR. Not the only team to do that this week. Uh, but this one, yeah, was just, it was weird. It was really weird because 
I can understand why the referee might not have seen it because it was quite like a collision and all that. But that's why VAR's there. Like it needs to tell him, look, this is this was a really bad, dangerous, reckless tackle. He was completely out of control. It's a red card. I don't care if they've already had one. Like the rules of the game still stand. Doesn't matter how many players you've got sent off already. So I felt like that kind of was at play there. Um, Miyeki did finish the half, and Circle did get back into the game within the half. Obviously, it came from a throw in because that's how they're great at scoring goals. Lots of flick-ons before a flick-on to Ueda, who then flicked it into the net. 2-2. And at that point, you're thinking into the second half, Circle are going to take this game and they're going to win it. Um, Miyeki has to go off. Arlison comes on. He's now going to have an extended run in this team. But it felt didn't feel like at times Circle were a man up. It felt quite an even game still because of the way Urpen were playing. Um, I think it was in three, Augusama had a ridiculously good chance. I think it was Gassama actually, one-on-one with the keeper. Valerson makes a great save and I was like, if Gassama scored the winner in this one, that would have really rubbed salt into the wounds, literally, <laughs> of Circler. Alas, neither side could find the winner, so it finished two goals apiece, but you just think, obviously, if they had gone down to nine men, I just don't see how Circler wouldn't have won this game because I feel like with ten men, you can tactically make adjustments, mm. but with nine men, the game's pretty much up. Um, so, yeah, a weird one. Yeah, I remember saying to you actually, um, I think it was probably around about half time that I thought that Circle were almost almost certain to go on and win this um, because it would be quite hard to, to, to hold out uh, with the intensity they play for, for another 45 minutes. They weren't quite able to get it over the line. Interestingly, I mean, the, 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 the buy red card, um, Open have confirmed today, earlier on this afternoon, uh, that they're actually going to appeal that. Um, which is is almost rubbing salt into the wounds in light of the other tackle in the game that should have been a red that wasn't, that was far worse. And that tackle has been talked about by supporters of all sorts of clubs across the Pro League um, all weekend. There was another tackle, uh, well, I say tackle, another incident um, at the Jan Bridal between a club and Ghent that we'll, that we'll get to shortly that, that was discussed about whether that was a red card or not. But Gassama's tackle is, yeah, so clear red and so clearly wild and reckless that it is really kind of beyond belief why why that wasn't kind of picked up or even checked and and, and it was like it hadn't happened um kind of just just bizarre stuff um circle kind of coming out and confirming yesterday i think it was that uh radislav Mieke will be out for about six weeks so there's a good chance that's the season done now with only seven weeks left unless obviously circle make playoff two uh but they'll have some extra games there's a real danger the season's over Marlison will get his extended run but yeah i mean a really really horrible tackle um and a, a, a sore one um Thankfully, he's going to be okay, but you know it's going to take a good few weeks for those those injuries to kind of heal. Presumably, there's some damaging and bruising to his ribs as well, uh, which which isn't going to be very fun for a goalkeeper. I would, I would imagine, uh, very competitive game this, and uh, in, in, in a classic Belgian football sense, very physical. I thought. And I think Open uh, showed enough fight about them in this game in particular, just to underline that I think they have that just that tiny bit more about them. That although they're still right in the mess down at the bottom, that I think they have more than those other three sides, as you were saying, Ben, to kind of keep them just enough um, ahead of them. Yeah, interesting about Bayer. I didn't realize they were going to appeal it um, because it just it looked like a red card to me when I saw it. Um, 
I don't know, <laughs> interesting decisions all round. <laughs> Let's go to Genk and the Segeka Arena then, where Genk hosted Ustend. Uh, Genk obviously wanting to get back to winning ways after the draw last time out. And they got off to a great start. Daniel Munoz got his seventh goal of the season, which is ridiculous when you consider he's playing at right back. Um, came from a corner, ball dropped to him, took it like a seasoned professional striker, did old Munoz. Lovely finish. <laughs> Unfortunately, they then lost one of their strikers. Tolio Lacadale is going to be out for a couple of games um, after picking up an injury. However, it meant that Abuana Samata got to come on and he got his second of the season. Nice Ooh. finish from him in the 40th minute. Couple of goals ruled out as well. Uh, I think Canis had one ruled out. I think Pencil had one ruled out, and then he did score. I can't quite remember which way round. Um, but then Pencil did get a goal in the seventy third minute. Um, finished three nil to Genk. I mean, Usted did have some chances. They had about twelve shots for on target, but Genk kind of dominated in terms of possession and all that sort of stuff. So, on paper, quite a comfortable win for Genk for. East End, I mean, it's one of those ones that at any point in the season, they're like, well, we're probably not going to get anything out of this and even a point is a bonus. But they're in the situation they're in now where it's like actually the point is a necessity. Anything else is a terrible result, really. So it's just, it could have given them a little bit of a springboard if they had managed to win. I mean, we're not expecting them to win, but an important game that they just, yeah, they've got a run now. They've got club on Friday and then it's open oh. and that's the big one. But we've been saying they've had the big ones for a while now for all these sides and they aren't winning the big ones. So you can't count on those. You have to go into every game now trying to get points. Yeah, I remember us last week talking about the Antwerp game, um, the Bosle against uh, Open, and uh, we described that as a as a routine home win. And this is the uh, this week's routine home win. Um, it kind of felt, felt inevitable and, and you know, when I was watching it, I was thinking this is really going to be a case of how many actually. Um, Ustend again, not not awful to be honest, but it was one of those performances which which they've they've produced across the season where there were spells in this game where they were actually decent, uh, but didn't didn't manage to um, get anything to show for that. Um, and yet again, they started quite slowly. I think, which is something they've 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 done in games. Um, uh, all season, which will be hugely frustrating. You mentioned um, Daniel Munoz getting his, his seventh goal of the season. He's also got five assists as well, like as you say, which is incredible for a right back. I mean, you look at his, his kind of his consistency, and then his output figures. He is arguably the top right back in the league, I think. Um, uh, which will delight our Yoris. So you know. Um, we've got we've got to big him up because um, I think he's kind of flying under the radar to a certain extent, uh, particularly you know considering he's got seven goals now and five assists. That's that's really really good uh, for a right back um, at any level. And as far as Arokadari is concerned, I think the the club confirmed um, that he's actually torn his meniscus, so he's going to need some minor surgery. But that'll that'll probably put him out for at least two or three weeks. So Ali Samata is almost certainly going to get uh, get the run that he was hoping he would get um, because of an enforced injury to to Rockadari. But yeah, I mean, I think with with obviously Union dropping points this weekend and uh, the Genkis managing to win at home, I think that will settle them down because in recent weeks there have been a few sort of gentle jitters, perhaps we could describe it as that. 
yeah, a nice settler for them, <laughs> for sure. And yeah, Munoz has been exceptional, so he's got to be in our team of the season. Otherwise, they'll probably be rioting. Um, <laughs> let's go to Veselo, where they hosted Union. And you just look at the numbers for this one. You think, did Veselo just pull a 2021-2022 Union on the 2022-2023 Union? They had less possession, but they scored more goals. Um, it's kind of like... Well said. Yeah. Twist. <laughs> if anyone has any idea what I said, like, well done. Um, basically, less possession, but they still won the game because they took their chances. Um, started off well, 16th minute, 16 minutes in, Thomas van den Kabus after a really nice pass from Madsen, just slotting it past the defenders. Van den Kabus makes no mistake, really good finish. Nasser Chadli then gets the second goal after Morris makes a, a save that he probably should have pushed somewhere else. And I think after the game he spoke about, yeah, he wasn't too happy with his own performance. Um, but it just fell straight to Chadli who tapped it in, who came out and said he he's accepted that he's no longer going to be in the Red Devils team. Um, so I think it's fair enough. It's probably, it is probably true. Like, I don't think he's been that good. No. He's not been good enough this season compared to some of the other young, exciting players coming through. Um, one of those... Young players, obviously, he's playing in his team, and Maxim de Kuiper, but we'll get to him in a little bit. Victor Boniface then got Union back in the game. Lovely ball to the back post from Lazar Armani, and Boniface, yeah, he was just too big, too strong for the defence, and he headed it in. He then got a hilarious second goal. Uh, Teddy Tuber shoots from the edge of the box, and it, like, ricochets off a defender, hits Boniface, and, like, ricochets in. He celebrates like all good strikers <laughs> should, but at that point, it's 2 all Union back in the game. Six minutes later, though, Veselo get a penalty. Upsteps that man, Maxim de Kuiper. He makes it 3-2 to Veselo. Union obviously pushing now. They finished the game with something crazy, like 20 shots, eight on target. Uh, but of all the people to give the ball away for the final goal, you just wouldn't expect it to be Teddy Tuma. He gives it away deep in his own half. Uh, Veselo play it quite nicely into the feet of Nene Douglas, who came on as a halftime, uh, who came on as a substitute, sorry. He slots it away fantastically, takes out the corner flag with a nice little like kung fu kick sort of thing. 4-2 <laughs> to Veselo. And I don't want to repeat the conversation we had last week, Scott, because we kind of, we spoke about them being a possible playoff one side. The gap has kind of increased now because of that Club Bruges-Ghent win, uh, because of that performance there. But, they are one of the sides in form. And even if they don't make playoff one, in playoff two, they're going to be really competitive. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I don't think that will take the shine off uh, things too much for them because uh, they're still right in the mix. And the way their form has been, I, I certainly wouldn't count them out yet. The thing about this game is I remember thinking before it started that there was always going to be goals in it. Um, I was thinking I'd be amazed if this is a nil-nil because both these sides are so good at going forward. Um, offensively, they're, they're they're really good to watch, both these sides. Um, in fact, these teams actually have scored, um, I had a look at this, uh, they've actually scored 108 goals between them this season, which is unbelievable. That's how good they have been at, at go, going forward. The real difference between them ultimately is that Union have quite a, a significantly better defence than Westerlo. Um, they're slightly less gung-ho. The balance is 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 better at Union. Uh, but yeah, loads of goals in both these sides. You mentioned uh, Maxim de 
Kuiper, eight goals and six assists now. Um, we were just talking about Munoz there being arguably the best right-back in the league. I don't think anyone can really argue that Maxim de Kuiper isn't the best left-back in the league. Um, because again, all of his numbers uh, suggest he is, and he's definitely flying towards being included. I think uh, in in our team of the season as well in a few weeks, um, as as the left back, it'd be very difficult to um, nudge him out. I think, but yeah, it's been a very difficult place to go actually. Uh, uh, head Coupier. Um, for for most sides this season, um, a lot of sides have gone there, playing well, uh, picking up points, gone there and got well turned over. Um, it's it's arguably the hardest place to go, I think, um, at the moment, other than maybe maybe Park Duden, uh, which is less hard to go to than than it used to be, bizarrely. Um, but yeah, another another good three points for Jonas de Rock, who continues to do a fabulous job there. Yes, he absolutely does. Um, obviously, that result put pressure on both Club Bruges and Ghent, uh, with Veslo kind of breathing down there. Next, they were the Sunday kickoff. Ghent just complete and utterly depleted at the moment. Their injury list is so, so long. And they obviously had that mammoth game in the midweek against Carabag that just, yeah, oh, that was a great one. Gift Orban obviously got the equaliser in the second half. Sides couldn't be separated. Uh, Davy Roof came up trumps with a penalty save before Cedric Van Dalu, who'd only just come off the bench in extra time, got the winner. I don't know if you saw Scott, he said he didn't realise he'd scored the winner. He was so focused on the penalty <laughs> and taking the penalty, he didn't realise it was the winning penalty. Ironically, when Roof made the save before, Gift Orban thought it was over <laughs> and he started celebrating <laughs> and he ran over and started like giving it to the crowd and everyone was like, what are you doing? Get back. Like we haven't won yet. He looked so sheepish like running back. Like I just, I'm really feeling this guy's energy though. I feel like he's just, he's a proper character Gift Orban and yeah, he's been a nice little breath of fresh air for them coming in. Um, he was heavily involved in the incident in this game. Um, yeah, that's probably the main talking point of the mm. first half. So Orban chasing the ball down. Uh, he wins it back. He's then shepherded out of play by Buchanan, who's done a pretty good job by that point, just kind of mm. got in front of him, good defending. And then he just launches his elbow into his face out of nowhere. It is mm. bizarre. And at the first angle, I thought he was just kind of pushing his shoulder back to kind of like, you know, when they kind of push back a former player, just to kind of like show him you're there, like kind of push him away. But there's another angle where you just see the elbow come up into the face. It's a stonewall red card. There's no debate that you can have about it. It is a red card. Like the Miyeki one, the Gasama Miyeki one was a stonewall red card. This was a stonewall red card. And Orban came out afterwards and was like, I don't know what VAR does in Belgium. And I think this weekend he's got a point. He also said the referee then shouted at him and had a go at him. And he was like, I've just been hit in the face. (laughs) Like, what is going on? Like, okay, if the referee can't see it, fine. But, player's gone down clutching his face would you not be and then VAR seen it he's been hit in the face like what what happened like there's so much that's got to come out of this as to what has gone on and I know so many fans have their conspiracy theories about Club Bruges getting all the calls and stuff like that and it's like I don't think that happens but like you know that there's this like weird conspiracy theory going on so you can you can do something about it in this game because if that happened to club fans they'd be saying exactly the same thing this is a stonewall red card and I'm sure I haven't seen what they've said, but I'm sure most of them would admit, yeah, this was a red card. It was ridiculous. Um, 
which it probably does change the game. Obviously, 10 against 11. We did kind of see with the Urban Circle Bruges game that they evened themselves out, but well, they were even in the sense, but there would have been nine, so it have been different. But again, with the position they're in in terms of injuries, this would have been a boost for them. Doesn't happen, obviously. Um, caused a lot of controversy. Club, second half, were great. I thought they played really well. Uh, I thought they had the intensity that's been lacking recently. I thought we spoke about it, but Euclid up front makes a difference and that's got to be the play for the Benfica game. Uh, they've got to do that with him up front because it allows Lang to get isolated onto fullbacks and stuff like that, which is just can be a nightmare for those sort of players. However, it was Bjorn Meyer who got the opening goal, took until the 73rd minute, lovely header from him, Definitely crossed the line, uh, bounced in off the underside of the bar. No one defending him was a bit weird, but he doesn't care about that. Um, nothing doing after that. Chances from both sides. Mignolet made a couple of saves. Nadi with a couple of saves as well. However, Ghent then did give away a penalty in the 93rd minute. Upstep Hans van Aken. 2-0 to Club Bruges. Game over. Huge result for them in the sense of it extends the gap keeps them in playoff one by four points. But Scott, that kind of good performance from club is being overshadowed by that VAR controversy. Yeah, well, Big Hine uh, was none too happy after this and had plenty to say uh, about it, uh, unsurprisingly. And, you know, it's interesting because that that, that elbow and that, that incident, when I was watching the game, Orban goes down and you think, okay, it looks like he's been struck with an elbow. That that that's what it appears to be. But you couldn't actually see it um from from well from the TV screen at, at normal speed. And then you saw the reverse angle uh, on replay, and that's when it was uh, unbelievably clear. And the wildest thing about it, a bit like the Mieke uh, tackle, um, was that it wasn't checked. Um, which just seems bizarre. Now, if a player goes down like that, you would think, okay, I'll listen in my ear to see if, you know, uh, the VAR crew at Tabiz at Belgian FA headquarters, you know, can see it on the alternate camera and pull it back. But nobody did. Um, And that, that was the wildest thing about it. Um, just, just really, really strange. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt at all. It's a red card. I really, I really don't. I think his elbow comes up um, in a very unnatural movement. There's no, there's no sort of um, strong contact with Gift Orban's face, but that doesn't really matter. The fact his elbow kind of comes up and and out um, in a way that it doesn't need to is just, you know, j- just enough. And it's a red card. Whether it would have changed the course of the game, we don't know. And to be fair to Hein, in amongst um, and being highly critical of, of, of VAR in that decision, he did say that, look, I don't know whether it would have had a bearing in the end of the game, but it's disappointing, uh, which, I mean, I would feel exactly the same if I, if, if I was him. Ghent, actually, I felt played pretty poorly in the whole. I thought they were trying to contain the game, really, uh, maybe hit club on the break um, and nick something. I, I felt that they were going into this um, a little bit less committed than they could have or they would normally. I mean, understandably, they played 120 minutes um, plus penalties against Carabag a few days earlier. And obviously, they've got a lot of injuries at the moment as well. So there was just, you know, something they were playing within themselves a little bit. Uh, there was a little, a lot of pointless knocking the ball about, really, with no attempt to, to particularly go forward either. Um, 
club. I agree with you, Ben. I thought much better, much more aggressive and intense. Um, I I wasn't entirely convinced they were necessarily going to open the scoring, actually. It was beginning to feel like one of those games where they looked like the only side who genuinely wanted to win it, but uh, weren't being kind of quite quite incisive enough to do it. But they, they got the job done in the end. And um, maybe, just maybe, this will be... Um, the kind of catalyst that Scotty Parker's looking for to to go and pick up some more points. Obviously, they've got a, an away fixture against Sustain coming up this weekend, which um, they'll be hot favourites to, to to get another three points for. Um, but yeah, plenty plenty of controversy and yet another battle of Flanders. Yeah, I think if they play with that intensity against Sustain, it's going to be very very difficult for the Coos boys and a very long evening um, on the coast for them as well. You'd expect, yeah, club could put a couple past them the way that defence is playing. Um, one side who also can't buy a win at the moment are Leuven. Uh, they hosted Antwerp and actually took the lead in this one. Uh, Paul Steinson from the spot, lovely penalty finish from him. Um, but they just can't hold it. And that's the problem for them at the minute. I mean, Antwerp had so no. many chances, 18 shots, just four on target, like any other day they could have really won this one. But they too are kind of in a little bit of an injury crisis. Uh, Zina van den Bosch made his kind of, I think his first start for the club must have been in the league, that for sure. I can't remember another time he started uh, coming at centre-back. Uh, lots of kids on the bench as well. There was talk about Mandela Cater playing centre-back. Um, I think that was all just a bit of like a mind games from Mark van Bommel. Um, he also did say he was leaning on Cater to kind of tell them how to play against Leuven. I am shocked that they didn't include any sort of clause that said he couldn't play against them. Like, what is that for negotiating? Do you know what I mean? Like, weird. Like, what, why would you let him play against you? You know how good he is. Um, it just kind of sums up their transfer business, doesn't it? Um, John and Kirk got Antwerp back into the game from a corner, much to the delight of the Antwerp travelling fans and Toby Alderweireld, who was in amongst them as well. Always great to see. Um, Finish 1-1, not the best result for Antwerp. Um, considering Union lost, they could have really taken advantage of that slip to move up um, level in second. I think it would have been, if I'm, my maths is right. I'm looking at that have won the same amount of games. I don't know. So Union probably would have stayed second on goal difference. I think it then does finally go to at that point. Oh, no, maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. It's all too confusing. They'd have been level points with the Union and one of them would have been second, one of them would have been third. Um, for Leuven, I think we had a question like um, from Flying Dutchman: Why, why are it's Leuven struggling? I mm. think it's just the recruitment wasn't great. Like we've spoken about that. I don't want to speak about that again. I don't think that starting eleven is actually that bad, but they're so reliant on Gonzalez to score the goals, um, mm. and we knew they needed a striker going into the season. He's not not been scoring and he's been injured and Singy's been good in patches but he's still kind of young and kind of learning the game and learning kind of the level and stuff like that um he's not like clinical or anything like that but Torstein's has been good I liked what I've seen from him but yeah and if you're like Patrice obviously has been great with his six assists but if he's your lead if you're leading assist maker as a defender it kind of smacks smacks of like where's the creativity like coming from the rest of the side. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's kind of... It's hard to really judge because Beers has said... He came out and said that he thinks they've been playing better without winning um, <laughs> than they did at the beginning of the season. But I think 
the problem is we think they're doing badly now because their beginning was so good. But this is actually what we expected from them, isn't it? Mm, that's the ironic thing, I think. And I think Mark Bryce is right insofar as if you look at a lot of their games across the season, uh, there haven't been that many that they played genuinely badly in. I think they've not been taking a lot of chances, that's for sure. They're, they are really missing a lot of their good chances. I mean, looking at some of the numbers, like, you know, I, I went and did a little bit of digging. Um, and to answer that that listener's question, if you think about it, since um, since we've come back from the World Cup break, they've only won one in nine um, and only picked up seven out of a possible 27 points, which is just dreadful, absolutely dreadful. But then they haven't won back-to-back games in the league since August, which... Um, is, is even worse, actually. And I didn't realise it was quite as far back as that until I, until I checked. And in truth, actually, I think they probably aren't really in deeper trouble because they've got a significantly better defence than the three sides down there at the moment. I mean, the three sides in in the drop zone just now have all conceded uh, very close to 60 goals each. Uh, Levin have only conceded uh, just under 40. So there, there's quite a, a difference um, in, in their defensive uh, qualities because actually in terms of goals scored, Leuven haven't scored that many more than those sides in the bottom three. So they are defensively more solid and it is that alone, I think, that's that's a, a major factor in, in why they're not um, struggling um, more than they are. I think they're going to be okay. I think they'll pick up another three or four points probably before the end of the season. Um, but it, but it is a, it is a strange one. And this, the game, uh, the the narrative of this game is the same as it's been for for them all season. Um, not really taking their their chances. Um, they 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 were okay. Antwerp, on the other hand, will be massively frustrated because they're not taking their chances, and they certainly created plenty. Um, more than enough to get the three points, um, you know, not being able to capitalise like like you were saying on uh, Union's loss to Westerlo will be a bit frustrating to them. But I don't think it's going to hamper their, um, their, their their playoff chances because obviously they're still they're still right in there on on the coattails of of the Genkies and Union at the moment. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think yeah, Leuven Leuven are definitely going to be okay, but it's more next season, isn't it? It's like what is going to happen there in terms of because yeah, they can't really do another kind of the way if I don't know, I feel like if teams kind of go into the end of the season or in decline, it's very rarely different at the at the start of the next season. Like unless mm. something drastic changes, um, which is something St. Tudor might have to start looking at because they are also in decline. But before we get to them, let's go to the Classico. And it was a classic. Uh, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, it was all about kind of in my mind, two two strikers for either side made the difference. Um, Noah Hayo for Standard had a great game, and Islam Samani for Andalite. Who'd have thought he's been great since he came in? To be honest, um, mm. may have missed a couple of chances, and he may not have the touch that he used to have, but he works hard and he's he's been effective. Uh, but it was Standard who took the lead in this one in the 14th minute. Great play from William Balakwisha down deep in Andalite territory near the byline, just completely turned. I think it might have been Sardella. Uh, ball goes into the box. I think it's Dyer who tries to clear it. He just completely miss kicks it, hits Vatonga and just falls to Ohio with his back to Verbrugge and he just back heels it into the net. Great finish from him. His runs had been great and kind of was really stretching and hassling the Anderlecht defence. And I think 
Ronnie Dyer's just got to stick with him. Uh, to be honest, let him let him keep playing, let him have those opportunities um, because he's the best of the strikers they've got. In kind of my opinion, to suit the kind of style of play that they've got that they're trying to play. Um, however, Anderlecht then got back into the game because Amuzu just started tearing Marlon Fossey apart. To be honest with his pace, he just mm. Fossey just couldn't deal with that pace of Amuzu, and you could see it coming when he dragged him down in the. Like thirty odd minute mark, um, clear penalty for Anderlecht. Slimani stepped up, smashed it into the back of the net to make it one-one. Gave it a big celebration. Thirty-eight minutes, Amuzu again down the left-hand side. Great play from him. He plays it across. Slimani's there to knee it into the back of the net this time. Um, <laughs> great finish, I guess we could say from Slimani. I mean, he just oozes kind of passion, doesn't he, for the uh, to, for the side and for the badge and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, he was having a great game. Not surprised at halftime. Uh, Melagoni came off for standard. Just didn't really do anything. Um, came off. <laughs> Nubi came on, which I, I feel like he should have probably started Nubi beforehand and then played Fossey actually at right midfield rather than at right centre-back because it just wasn't working. Um, Slomani thought he'd got his hat-trick midway through the second half, ball over the top, him running on, great finish, uh, but it was offside. Diwara thought he'd got a goal to make it 3-1 as well, but he was given offside and then Standard scored. Ball into the box to Ohio. He puts pressure on Sardella. Poor Sardella just tries to clear it, just loops it over for Bruggen into the back of the net. Both sides had a couple of chances in the end of to end the game, but neither could make the final winner. Um, it's a good game, good energy. I thought Scott as well. If you consider that Anderlecht, like Ghent, had to go the full distance against Nuda Gorlitz, despite being ahead in the game, um, going late into it, thanks to uh, I thought it was a Slomani goal, but they gave it an, an own goal, and then Vashan looked like to he had won it for Anderlecht against Nuda Gorlitz before. Rodriguez finished off uh, from a kind of counter-attack, but Mr. Vartverbruggen saved every single penalty in the shootout to win it for Anderlecht. Um, so when you take all that into consideration, they played 120 minutes plus, came here, played pretty well, matched well by standard. I thought this was a great Classico. Yeah, it was, it was pretty tasty on the pitch. And as we know, these two don't like each other much, do they? I think we could we could definitely say that with, with some clarity. Um, and that goes for the, the fans of uh, either side as well. Um, yeah, a really enjoyable game, this. And I think we're, we're actually starting to see um, the signs of um, what Brian Reimer was talking about a number of weeks ago, uh, looking for a kind of uplift um, in their performances um, around sort of you know twelve to fifteen games um, in, uh, I think that's them unbeaten in six in the league now. And actually, I thought they looked really quite good going forward, uh, Anderlecht, and they have done for two or three weeks now. So they're they're starting to click uh, in an offensive sense, and I think a lot of that is down to the difference that Dryers made. Um, Slamani's had a, an instant impact. Um, I think he's got uh, four and six now, if you include Europe. 
Um, so a really, really strong start for a for a thirty four year old who everybody was going. I don't quite understand this coming in at the last minute after Rockadari uh, decided to join Genk in, in, instead of Anderlecht, which is where he was heading up until the last minute. Um, it looks like that's turned out in Anderlecht's favour, ironically, with you know um, Slamani's form. Rockadari's form's actually not been bad for Genk, but obviously he's he's injured now. Um, so yeah, I mean some some genuinely encouraging signs for for Anderlecht. They just need to keep working on the same things that they've been working on. I thought Standard played their their part as the opposition uh, gave a good account of themselves. Definitely, um, really unsavoury scenes afterwards when the the Standard uh, team coach was actually uh, attacked um, by a group of Anderlecht fans who who were ready and waiting for it with with cobblestones. Um, some damage done to the team bus. You know, you never like to see things like that. It's completely unnecessary. Um, you know, keep keep the hatred to the to the terraces and the stands, everybody. Um, you know, that's that's where that passion should be exercised. Obviously, thankfully, nobody was hurt. Although there was um, there was an Anderlecht fan, I think, who who sustained an injury during the game as well. Something was thrown, um, which didn't get as much news coverage as 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 I was expecting as well. But yeah, a really entertaining game this, and it's just a shame that we didn't get a winner because it had a feeling that there was enough drama ebbing and flowing in this game that the that there was probably a late winner coming to to cause scenes of pandemonium and unfortunately for all of us um we didn't get it in the end yeah no it was, it was definitely a good one it's just <clears throat> frustrating when a good game's overshadowed by something stupid done after the game it's just like what what are you achieving by mm. loving these things at this bus like just let them go the team's played well like it's been a good entertaining game just like go home and have a pint it was a weird Weird weekend from that point of view because obviously there was there was a, a break in at the Anne Bridal in the early hours of uh, Sunday morning as well by uh, a group of Ghent fans who who sprayed the graffiti that you could see in the centre circle and I think there was graffiti on the goalposts as well that they'd they'd managed to to wash off before the game started but the 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 graffiti on the the centre circle which clearly indicated uh, the Ghent postal code. Um, which was quite funny, I thought, actually. Uh, they could have been a lot more offensive than uh, they actually turned out to be. So as graffiti artists go and as Ghent fans go, um, they were quite polite about their um, their, their graffito. <laughs> polite vandalism, <laughs> that's what we like. Um, let's go to Charlois against St. Truden. Um, just wasn't really looking forward to watching this one because, I don't know, it's not two sides that really play exciting football and score lots of goals um, and it ended 1-0 which isn't really that surprising either. Um, Charlois had more of the chances though, 17 shots, just 7 on target to St. Trudens, 2 on target from 11. Um, There's lots of kind of talk before the game, I think in the Hetbalang van Limburg about like, should he go with Canate and Boyo in the central midfield or should he keep Reitz in for entertainment purposes and attacking purposes but Hollaback went for Boyo and Canate and it's just it, that that is one of those two kind of things that if you play those two, you are going to be more defensive. But he's also just he's decided that he's always going to start Hara now because he wants a tall striker. But Bruno and Hayashi were <laughs> playing well together, and that's why I I, it just blows my mind yeah. that he's now said he's going to pick between Hayashi and Bruno, and they're playing with Hara. But like, Hara's he, he's not as good as Hayashi in my personal opinion. Um, but yeah, Charlois did eventually get the goal that would win them this game. Um, it came 
from a bit of poor goalkeeping from Daniel Schmidt, which hasn't been well. I say poor. So initially he kind of scuffs the ball, but on the kind of as it rebounds out, he makes a ridiculously good save to deny. I can't remember who it was at that point, but to deny one of the Charleroi players. But then the ball falls to Zorgan, who then puts it in basically. Uh, so it's kind of like a weird. He spills it. He makes a ridiculously good save, and then he gets punished for the spill eventually. Oh. By the end of it, um, and yeah, that's how this one finished. Finished one nil to Charleroi. Much to the relief for their fans. For St. Truden, it's three losses on the bounce. Playoff two, they're still within two points, so by no means over. But it just feels like it's weird, isn't it, Scott? It feels like as they start to get players back, mm. they're playing worse. Like when they had, when he could only play Reitz and Kanate Oboya, when he could only play Bruno and Hayashi. They were a lot better. Uh, he's even dropped Volker Janssens now, which has been interesting because I thought he's been pretty solid uh, for, for Schmetz, oh. which is good because it's good to see a youngster like Schmetz get some game time. But interesting kind of team selection from Hollerback, but there's nothing you can really do about it because he's going at the end of the season. Um, but they don't want to finish the season poorly uh, because then how are they going to attract players or a, a manager to come and join the project? Um so an interesting one, whereas for Charleroi, I mean, it keeps them kind of, they go above St. Jude and they are also just two points off playoff two. I don't think these sides are going to have enough. I feel like it should be Circle and Anderlecht look like they're playing better football than kind of Charleroi and St. Jude at the moment. But you can't write off mm. Felice Mazu and the job he can do. Yeah, well, last week I was saying that I I, I think that Charleroi slow slow and steady improvements. Um, that's sixteen points out of thirty since uh, Mazu came in, which doesn't sound that great, but actually when you look at it in context of what was going on before in the previous two to three months, then there, there's a definite improvement, and I think he's building towards next season really, um, kind of quietly and effectively. Uh, I think that's definitely what's happening there, um, and they've had the change in form really that they needed since since he came in. So um, I suspect uh, internally at Charleroi just now I think they're probably quite content with um, that slow but steady turnaround. St Truden I suppose just have to hope that things aren't completely petering out for them now um, when Hollerbach announced uh, what feels like ages ago now um, that, that he was going to be leaving at the end of the season I had this worry that you always have when these things come out early that a side were just going to tank after that and it actually had the opposite effect for a while they were they were, they were on a really good run when they came back after the World Cup break and it didn't seem to have any impact at all I know that Hollerbach recently was saying that the reason Bruno hasn't started some games is because he's not been happy with his work rate presumably in training um, and that's what's led to you know a player who was doing very well actually um, being rotated a little bit more as well, which is kind of odd. I think just play play players who are playing well. Um, I've never been one. Uh, all coaches are different, obviously, but um, I, I, I've always been very open-minded about players who don't necessarily train that hard or intensively um, during the week. If if their if their performances in actual games, you know, give you a return, then I think there has to be a little bit uh, of leeway there. That's the way I look at these things. But I, I know coaches, you know, like to see a kind of like for like attitude and approach, and equally, I can kind of understand that. But it's risky if you're a club in St. Truden's situation you know what I mean, of, of not starting a player 
there who has been doing, you know, a lot of good stuff here um, on the park. You mentioned Adam Zorgan. I thought he had a good game generally. Um, and he is somebody who's attracting increasing interest now uh, from outside Belgium. There are some French clubs and some Premier League clubs in England uh, now tracking him. And um, I I would like to see Charleroi fight quite hard to try and hold on to him in the summer because he's a good player who's who's been doing well for them since he came in. Um, but there is a very real possibility that a, a, a pretty reasonable and large bid might come in in the summer and that they might decide to, to let him go. Uh, but he's become very important to them, I think. Yeah, I think there's a 1% chance that he's still there at the end of the summer window. He's far too good. Yeah, as as he's just far too good, isn't he? He's just such a quality player. Um, and yeah, there's just, there can't be any way. Him and Kadri, I seem like just those two Algerian yeah. guys, like they just, they should be kind of being looked at for sure. Like Zorgan is obviously, but I feel like Kadri, because of his injuries, isn't as much as Zorgan, but those are two guys that have come from the Algerian league that have just, they look quality and they should be of interest to teams mm. because they've got something special about them. So yeah, let's enjoy what we see from Zorgan for the rest of the season. Cause I just, yeah, I don't think he's going to be here much longer. Let's move to listener questions. Uh, but we've already done one, we'll do the next one, and then we'll move to the Challenger Pro League as well. Uh, Matt J. Ball has given us two. Uh, he asked if we're, he's allowed, and of course you are. Uh, so his first question is, do you think Club Bruges are at a point where they need to reshape the team? Champion winning teams get like that, where they lose that winning urge. Do you think Club is at that level? Scott, I know you've spoken about this quite a bit, so I'll let you take this one. Um, I know you've, yeah, you've definitely got some thoughts on it. Yeah, well, I, I think Matt raises an important point here about, you know, sometimes obviously clubs that, that, that win titles and have gone on a good run for a little while, things go a bit stale inside clubs. You know, players get used to winning and it becomes difficult to continue to motivate them. I think the players are still there. Um, I, I think the issue for me lies more in a coaching sense. I think the club have made some appointments which uh, haven't really worked out. Um, I think the malaise kind of starts for me uh, under Philippe Clement uh, for, for whatever reason. Um, players start to lose a little bit of interest and motivation. He moves on when he gets the opportunity to to go to Monaco, leaving a club in still a good place at that point, actually. Um, Alfred Schroeder comes in, um, and it was very much an open secret from quite early on that he wasn't going to be there long term. You know, it wasn't a shock when he went to Ajax. It was it was openly known in, in a lot of sections of the media uh, for a good number of weeks before that was confirmed that, that that's the direction things were heading in. So he he had no intention of being around long term. In the short term, he got the job done, managed to get them uh, over the line to, to to win the most recent title just. Um, Karl Ofkins, I think, was just the wrong choice um, in the end. He wasn't able to inject that that energy and motivation 
um, to to re-energize the squad um, either, and, and ultimately paid paid the price for it. Scotty Parker's in there now and has had um, generally an underwhelming start. There's no indications really that there's been a significant uplift in in um, in any respect quite yet. Although it's still early days for him, so for me it lies more on on, on the coaching side because the the quality is still in this squad, um, and there are players there who who are still kind of quite hungry. I think um, it's just finding a coach who can um, get the best out of these players, and they've 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 not done that really for a little while, which is strange because Club Brugge are one of the few clubs in Belgium who um, tend to give their coaches a bit of time. They don't tend to panic, um, and that's something that you know they've they've done a little bit more of um, recently than 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 in recent years, and that might also explain why why there's been this inconsistency as well. Yeah, and I wonder if they've not found the right people that they want. Um, I think it's probably linked to... My answer is probably going to be linked to the second question, so I'll read that one out as well. Um, what do you think of clubs' recruitment in the last three season, seasons? <clears throat> Has it been a success and does it have a clear plan? As for me, there's been four decent signings, but apart from that, it seems scattergunny. I think investment is not there also. Sure. Um, yeah, I think this is probably where my kind of opinion on why it's been a struggle this year it's not it's not even necessarily on the incoming players it's also about who they haven't sold in the sense of hmm. they should have sold Vorma a couple of seasons ago they should have sold Van Aken in the hmm. summer when West Ham came calling because that's a chance to refresh hmm. that position hmm. because now you're just going to have him continuing to age but you've got to play him because you're paying him so much and because no one's going to offer any that that's hmm. probably he's his highest the highest bid you're getting is probably last summer and that's it now. You're not going to... And we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, but then obviously they they have done well in the transfer window because like you look at Noah Lang, now again he's back to his good self. Buchanan, I think he's been a great signing. Scott Olsen's been a good signing. Um, I like Onya Dika. I think he's got a lot of potential to be a good signing. But then there have been the misses. Like Soa, we've seen more of him this year. Um, Soa and Hendry are kind of the weird ones in that at the time... We think Soa was probably too expensive for what they paid, but he, he has shown a little bit more this year. Hendry's obviously back now. Um, but then that summer as well, they signed Mwasa, which was, he's just never really played. Otasawi, which was a terrible signing. Awful, awful signing. Just everything about them was awful. Um, but then they also signed Noosa, so he's like an exciting one. Um, this year, obviously, with the Olemchuk, not been the greatest of signings like this this summer kind of in particular apart from was it Onyadika Eukla Nielsen starting to play a little bit better um but then like Carl Lauren this wasn't a great signing Stegic Boyata not really a great signing to be honest that we I think we all agreed at the time there's one so I just wanted to kind of I've been just hunting back through I don't know if you remember Scott when I think was it last year they signed Isguerdo, Morais on loan and for free mm. and they just never played. So that was just bizarre. Um so I think that's kind of the scattergunny <laughs> stuff. But I think you're gonna have that in the Belgian Pro League in the sense that because mm. you do kind of have to pick and like in a sense for them it's a weird one because they've obviously they kind of have to pick at a little bit of a higher level some of the other clubs they don't have the, the development chances to bring them 
because they need them to come in and win straight away sort of thing. It is kind of like you do have this weird scattergun of we'll grab some young players, but also grab some slightly older players to help us kind of still have a competitive and winning now team. So I think they're in this hard position, but they also, I'm also kind of, with the Uremchuk one, they can kind of look say, look, we have gone and spent a lot of money there and look how it turned out. Like we don't need to spend that much money. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we can sell our Charles de Ketelars, we can sell our Noah Langs, we can sell our kind of Diatas and get the big money there. But then let's just go find another one of those for cheaper and do the same thing again. They could kind of be one of those, a selling club at a higher level sort of thing is how I've kind of viewed them. But they also need to stay competitive and keep players. So yeah, I've probably completely contradicted myself with the Van Aken one, but I think the Van Aken one is like when they get to that age, move them on and then you're refreshing the squad. Not to say Van Aken's not a winner or anything like that and he can still contribute this season, but it's kind of thinking, but we've signed him for these X more number of years is he still going to be producing at that point? We don't know. Look at what happened to Rude Former. That just became a really weird, awkward situation where they're paying a lot of money to someone who they're not playing. And it's like, that could be Van Aken. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, on the Van Aken one particularly, I mean, looking at this from the outside, it's hugely frustrating because he, he's a massive uh, Club Brugge legend, obviously, um, right, rightly so. Uh, but I think when a player gets to a certain age, I think, um, I think the absolutely wrong thing to do is to give them a contract for longer than a player can perform at, at their peak on increased wages. You know, when they went and did that to to, to ward off the, the West Ham offer, which was decent. I know Club Brugge fans um, are grossly offended by the 11 million that was offered by West Ham. But when you look at Hans Van Aken's age, um, that that all, all told, all things considered, it wasn't a bad offer at all. Um, which probably should have been accepted. You know, the road they chose to go down with that is a it is a dangerous one, I think, um, and an un, an unhealthy one. And you do see club legends at other clubs um, who say, "Okay, I'd like to I'd like to see my career out here. Give me a two year deal, maybe on slightly reduced terms to get to you know to stay in and and still contribute." And most clubs in those situations say no. Um, so it was quite unusual for club to turn around and and do what they did there, and not not particularly smart business really generally. Um, although to be fair to Hans Van Aken, I think on the pitch for the most part this season he's, he has been contributing more so than some of the the, the, the other players um, in that squad. But yeah, they've been spending, haven't they, Ben? They have been spending a lot of money because they've got more money than 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 anybody else. And as I was saying, I don't think ultimately the players are the problem. Um, I think it's more to do with coaching choices um, for me. I mean, obviously, this season is is kind of gone for them um, now, and it'll be very interesting to see what they what they do in the summer. Um, whether Scott Parker will get who he's identified he would like, or or whether he's going to be made to work with players that the club have already. Uh, identified um, even long ahead of kind of uh, Scott coming in because these things are obviously months and months um, in the planning. Yeah, no, but it'll be really interesting in the summer. And I think that's the thing. We're not saying Van Aken's bad selling. We're saying he's at his peak, like, and it's probably going to start declining. Why not get what you can from now? But it's kind of up to them. Yeah. And I think, yeah, he has, he has definitely contributed this season. He's scoring some goals. Um and doing his usual good stuff, but it's like, how long are you going to pay him to do that? 
when it's not happening. So it'll be interesting to see. That's just kind of our opinions. I'm sure lots of Club Rouge fans will completely disagree with us. But yeah, there are some still young, exciting players like Lang, Buchanan, uh, Scott Olsen, Yukla, all those guys. So I still don't think they need to do like a massive reset refresh. I think they can just kind of keep doing what they're doing but make sure they kind of like if if a doy like they they're starting a doy over matter now so it's like well if you don't make matter now and over a 34 year old a doy sell matter in the summer do you know what i mean like if that's if that's where the direction you want to go because a doy can probably do it because he's quite a fit guy he can probably do it again next season so it's like we don't need matter then go get another right back or something like that so that's what I think they need to be wise. It's like, yeah, say thanks, Clinton. You've done everything you can for us. I still think he's great and I still would play him over a doy, but Scotty Parker loves a doy. <laughs> he's one of his favourite players. So he's going to play a doy. You don't need matter on the bench, like on those wages. You can sell him, get some money, go buy another right back, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's interesting to see. And it is the sort of thing that happens at a club that has a lot of money from the sales of players, but has still got some of those key players in those positions that they've just don't want to drop or they want to kind of honour for what they've done for them. So, yeah, I hope that answered your question, Matt. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed. Let's go to the second tier because we are now into the playoffs, Scott. And yeah, Ooh. pretty good action. A couple of ridiculous goals as well. Yeah, it's a pretty exciting and opening weekend, uh, the playoffs in, in the Challenger Pro League. Um, what's been happening? Well, in playoff two, which is the, the relegation playoff, uh, Dender's new T1, Timmy Simons. Remember him, everybody? Timmy Simons, not too long ago, was was uh, at Zulta. Uh, his new side, Dender, managed to get a 2-1 win against uh, Jose Junchamp's Verton now. Um, another coach who up until recently was also in the Pro League. Um, SL16 managed to beat Lommel 1-0 at Slesson and uh, Denza lost 3-1 at home to, to Yong Genk. So Verton remain bottom, um, uh, fighting very much for their lives and are starting to kind of get cut adrift a little bit now. Uh, things starting to look kind of pretty bleak for them. In playoff one, uh, Club Next put in a very impressive performance to win 3-0 at home against Beveren. Uh, promotion chasing Beveren. That game um, had um, what I think, for me anyway, was my goal of the weekend, Romeo Vermant's goal, uh, which was an absolute banger, I think. Um, we shared it across our social media. If you haven't seen it, scroll back a little bit in our timeline, you'll find it. Ball comes in from the corner um, and Vermont, with um, an acrobatic overhead kick, manages to score an absolute banger, as I was saying. And what makes it even more impressive is he's actually heading away from goal when he makes contact and he's almost on the edge of the 18-yard line. So it's, it's a good bit out to be so unsighted as well. Um, really, really good goal. Um, elsewhere in uh, playoff one, Beershaw played out a nil-nil draw against uh, Anderlecht under-23s and Molenbeek won 3-1 at home in Brussels against uh, Liersa, which means that Molenbeek now go six points uh, clear at the top 
Um, and Beveren fans, um, because of that 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 loss and, and Molenbeek's win, really were not very happy at all this weekend. It was interesting to see uh, coach Vim de Decker coming out to to address some of them after the game. And I think it'd be fair to say, Ben, there's a there's a degree of panic now starting to break out in amongst some Beveren fans about that six point gap, particularly in light of the fact that this coming weekend, uh, Beveren play Molenbeek at home. Um, and what is now an absolutely massive game because of that gap. Um, and you would have to say that if Molenbeek win that, then playoff one is going to lose a little bit of its excitement. Um, in terms of other uh, Challenger Pro League news, I suppose the big story in the last few days is that Lommel are going to receive a new capital uh, investment from City Football Group of around €16.8 million. Euros. Um and a lot of that is to help cover some of their losses um, as well. But that's that's the kind of big individual club story in the last few days um, as well. So there's been plenty happening. And I would tell everybody and urge them to go and have a look, if you can, at Beveren against Molenbeek this weekend, because it's definitely one of the big games coming up across, across Belgian football this coming weekend. Yeah, it's not often anyone uses the term promotion six-pointer. It's usually relegation six-pointer, but this... Promotion six pointer <laughs> in that sense, um, but I feel like what kind of Beveren fans should maybe think as well. If Club Next can do that to us, they could probably do it to Molenbeek as well. Like Club Next and Anderlecht mm, Futures, yeah. even Beerscott now probably out of it, so they're playing spoiler role. Like Molenbeek, mm. I mean, you'd be surprised if they go and win all their games. So Beveren just have to go and beat them and just hope that these other teams will do them a favour while also not dropping points themselves because. We've seen throughout this season, the second teams can just go and spring a little surprise. I mean, that's how you get the likes of Club Next and Anderlecht Futures in the top six over the likes of Lommel and Denza, which mm. you'd have predicted or presumed Lommel and Denza would probably have been in that top six instead of those two. So, yeah, I mean, it's mm. an annoying, I think it's probably one of those ones that for Beveren, it's just annoying in the sense of like, they would love to have been going into that game against Molenbeek with just three points to catch up because it would have meant so much more when they do get that win they're then level and it's like right who can be consistent throughout but yeah I feel like it's the playoffs teams are going to drop points that's just kind of how the pressure goes and these kind of younger teams know they can't get promoted so they're not really playing for that they're just playing kind of to impress and do that so they'll always be pushing um, but yeah no definitely should be a good game to watch I think that's probably about it for this episode Scott as always, it's been a pleasure. Yep, great to sit down and uh, we'll see you next week, everyone. Absolutely, we definitely will. If you do like what we do, please just leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. You also get in touch to ask us any questions you have for next week's pod on our Twitter. I'm sure we'll put out a little tweet asking for questions. So if you just stick them under that, we will definitely get to them next week. But as always, thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.